Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are back to Redwall. Um, this is the first book of the series, Redwall, part two, um, called book two, um, chapter six. Now this is book two six through ten. of the first book, Redwall, not the second book in the series, just to be clear. And, um, yeah, where we left off, um, Sela and Chickenhound had been plotting to double-cross Clooney, and Matthias and Methuselah had discovered the clues behind the tapestry, um, leading toward, um, the sword that they're looking for, or just a refresher. So it starts off, um, Cornflower had been making, um, food trays for Matthias and Methuselah and, um, the squirrel guests, um, the parents of Sam Squirrel had come to get him and... And the Vole family and Basil Staghair. And Basil Staghair didn't eat a lot of food, but very, uh, politely... Um, yeah, the food listed was October Ale, Summer Salad, Friar Hugo's Quince Pie, which sounds interesting, Goat's Milk Cheese with Hazelnuts. I don't have a quince tree or goats, but... But remember that quince tree back in Massachusetts? Oh, I was really young, but you picked quince off of that. Um, somebody who knew somebody connected with the church had one, and... Um, you made something with the fruit. It was like pears, kind of? Okay, well, it was this guy, he lived with his family near the church we used to go to, and they had an old run-down farm, and they had a quince tree on this property. They didn't do anything with the quince, but he's all for making a buck, and so... I, I paid him to, you know, let me pick quince. Um, but, yeah. My memory, the little bit I remember of it, I remember it being kind of a low-growing tree with a sort of, like, green pear-type fruit on it. Yeah. So I assume it's something in that family. And goat's milk. So this being the first book in the series... Um, Brian Jakes hadn't really worked out yet that there weren't domesticated animals in that world yet. So, they had goat milk somehow. You never see any goats around the Abbey, so I don't know how that was done, but... Goat's milk was probably later traded out to be meadow cream or something. And green sap milk. So, picture, like, good-tasting vegan milk alternative. Um, and in real life, you know, some of those taste better than others, and... Mm-hmm. And all the other hairs later in the series pretty much, um, or at least, um, for the most part, have, um, kind of followed in Basil's footsteps and been total food gluttons throughout the... 
Yeah. It's it's the running joke. Oh, you let a hair in the kitchen. No. <laughs> um. Basil calls um, Cornflower a little charmer, and my word, what an attractive young field mouse girl. That feels a little weird reading it older, but it's not that kind of book, so I shouldn't no, read more he's into it to than. He's trying to butter her up for the food and all that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a charmer. And um, then it, it cuts to. Um, how Matthias and Methuselah are searching. They're searching the um, the the secret staircase. Um, they've closed off the great hall and cavern hole uh, to all, but those directly those, helping them. So there's yeah. no. Uh, and that's orders of by of Abbot Motormer. So, anyhow. They do go down. I I call Matthias and Methuselah M and M. Which we already have an M and M in our family with my brother Mike and his wife Marcia. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, and a little bit of unrelated trivia. Apparently, Mickey Mouse, Disney Mickey Mouse, was originally Mortimer Mouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's complete coincidence, but yeah. that's a bit of uh, interesting trivia there. So anyway, yeah, they're exploring the secret staircase. It's dark. They're it's it's a downward winding corridor, or it's it's after. And they have they're using lanterns, and it's um, chilly but dry. On the lintel over the door. And it's really, you know, neatly dug and it's shored up. Which, yeah, considering something that old, you'd think cave-in. It's probably stone or something. I would have wanted to at least bring a mole with me who really knows what he's about. And, right. Um. So. Um, they go down and down and uh, Matthias thinks that they're probably underneath, nearly underneath the Abbey Foundations at that point. And they keep going, and they reach a door. And it doesn't have um, any obvious lock or you know anything to open it with. Any mechanisms. It's got florin spikes on it, though. And they push on it, and it doesn't budge. And Matthias can read some writing at the lintel of the door. And the writing says, the same as the steps twixt the hall, remember and look to the center. My password again is red wall, am that is, you alone are to enter. And uh, Methuselah's a bit disappointed about uh, that after all the help he's given. Yes, it's obvious that Matthias is the only one that's supposed to go. Uh, but. Um, yeah. Matthias is um, counting all the florin spikes and they're arranged in rows of seven just like the number of letters in Redwall both front to top and side to side. 
So there's 49 spikes in all. And so the 25th spike, up, down, or across, is the exact one in the middle. And because the rhyme says, look to the center, Matthias puts his paw on that one, and the door opens. Just into a dark... Yeah, it swings creepily inwards. <laughs> and uh, Matthias actually um, says that if Martin is Matthias, and that, and so he is um, the I am that is in the rhyme, he gives permission to his trusted friend Methuselah to come with him. So they both get to go in. Yeah. And it's a smaller uh, chamber with a low ceiling and a stone block in the middle with the lifelike uh, carving of Martin the warrior on top of the tomb. And Methuselah notices that he has a uncanny resemblance to Matthias. But then again... They're mice. They're mice. And mice kind of look like other mice to Especially me. Especially but... in a carving. It's not like you're going to necessarily see the colors of their fur or whatever. Um, <laughs> but the tomb has detailed carvings depicting scenes from Martin's life, deeds of valor, works of skillful healing. Now... And then, the, of course, the top, a life-sized effigy of the warrior. Regarding the valor and works of skillful healing, um, okay, Brian wrote three other books that had Martin the Warrior um, alive in it, you know, set during his lifetime. And he certainly has deeds of valor. I only remember one work of healing, and it pretty much involved knocking out a hedgehog's bad tooth. Uh, so well, there, maybe, there, there may have been others that weren't things. talked about, but that's right. what I immediately think of. Well, this sword is magic. It can heal your tooth. Clonk. <laughs> well, that that can be common in things like I'm a fan of Sherlock Holmes, and when you listen to like old Sherlock Holmes podcasts or something, they will mention throughout various podcasts uh, or episodes uh, other stories that are actually not written out, um, but you know they're they made reference to various stories that. Uh, or cases that Sherlock was on, but that Watson hadn't either told yet or written out. So there's implications that there's a lot more that you don't know, and maybe you will sometime in the future. Which possibly would be the case if somebody uh, fanfictioned the uh, the other stories. And as for the deeds of valor. Well, we'll talk more about those when we get to the three other books that um, he's still alive in. Do you want to list those books? Yeah, in um, Mossflower, Martin the Warrior, of course. Yeah. And in the first half of The Legend of Luke, and I think think he's also in the third half of it, um, the second, the... The second part of the book is actually about his father, you know, the legend of Luke. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, they're, 
And they look around the tomb, and they find on the back of the door... No, the door swings The door closed. swings closed first. Yeah, creepy. Which is kind of creepy, because they didn't close it. They just... It swung closed. And, yeah, you hope you can open it again from the inside. Um... On the door, there's the shield and the sword belt, and the shield is still all shiny, and it's got the letter M on it, and the sword belt um, is still in good condition, and it's a shiny black leather with a hanging tab for the sword and the scabbard, but there's no sword or scabbard around. Now, once again, uh, there's a little bit of a... The sword belt is made of leather. They're animals. Like, either think about that too hard or don't think about that too hard. Um, uh, Brian hadn't worked out yet that there's no, like, domestic animals yet. But later in the series, there are various characters that um, do wear leather or fur and pretty much if it's leather from a snake or like shark skin it's treated as pretty normal but if it's from a mammal um that would be something the bad guys would have or good guys that are a little edgier um enough to you know take the fur from an enemy and i don't really get that impression off of martin at all yeah but yeah, the sword and the scabbard that they came for are not there. But uh, Martin puts on. No, I'm sorry, not Martin. <laughs> Matthias, <laughs> Matthias Martin, I am that is. Uh, <laughs> Matthias uh, put put the belt on. And he also tried the shield on his um, arm and. It's the small, round kind of shield with two grips. Um, so you're not picturing like a big kite shield with the smaller, round kind that you'd uh, kind of have to hold in front of you, mm-hmm. but you couldn't like get all the way behind it. Right. Um, and where the shield had been hanging, there was more writing. You want to read it? No, you can't. But one thing about the shield is I was thinking... When I was a child, we had saucer sleds that were, were made of metal, and they were round. And that reminded me of what the shield would look like. Yeah, I think you're right. Because the saucer sled would ha- had two grips, one on each edge, you know, across from each other. And it was round, and it was, uh, I think it was aluminum, a silvery aluminum. And I think that he, like... Threads his arm through one of the grips and then holds the other, unless I'm mistaken. Um, yeah, I had a saucer sled too, but they weren't made of metal anymore. It yeah. was plastic. The good old days. By So behind where the shield was hanging, the words, By the moonlight on the hour, in my threshold space lay me. Watch the beam reflect my power, unite once more my sword with me. I am that is, stand true for all, a warrior mouse, protect Red Wall. And Matthias actually pretty easily pulls on the door and it opens. And they make their way back up to the rest of the abbey with their the belt and the shield, but no sword. Yeah, the way they describe them returning to the abbey is, they made their way back to the familiar warmth and cheer of Red Wall Abbey, 
Back to the hot June noonday sun. Yeah, it's almost like treated like it's a dream sequence that yeah. they, uh, and now they got more clues to puzzle out. And that's the end of that chapter, and on to chapter seven. Uh, Constance Badger is on the ramparts, and a young fox is on the path below with a stick with a white rag for a truce tied to it. The, the fox is chicken hound. Um, Sela's son, who, as if you may remember, had a uh, message for the abbot on the scroll. That he wanted to sell to yeah. the abbot. And chicken hound is sniggering, but he t- gets control of himself and calls up, he wants to see the abbot, and Constance is like, well, you can't. And Chicken Hound keeps waving his flag and says, it comes in peace, he's got important information to sit, sell, and uh, Constance isn't having it and is saying, you can't get inside the abbey, if you got to want to talk to anybody, you'd talk to me. And if you don't like it, you can Sling your brush back up the road. And... Um, yeah, speaking of slinging your brush up the road, uh, the dog would like to be let out. So, uh... Yeah, while the dog gets let out, I'll uh, continue... Um, Chicken Hound says that the message is only for the abbot and it's important. And Constance says, throw it up here and uh, she'll see that he gets it. Chicken Hound's just trying to keep throw that scroll up and he doesn't have enough of a pitching arm to throw it over the abbey wall, which really isn't surprising. It's high. I wouldn't expect most creatures to be able to do it. And finally, he does throw it high enough. Constance leans out and grabs it. And the badger... takes the scroll and reads it, but waits a while to make it look like she brought it to the abbot when really she didn't. And the scroll said, tell Sila that the abbot will see her two days from tonight at 10 o'clock in Mossflower Wood. Oh no, sorry, I, I got this wrong. Um, no, this is what Constance says back to Chicken Hound to tell Sela that the abbot will see her two days from tonight at 10 o'clock in Mossflower Wood. She must come to the old tree stump and mind you, tell her no tricks. And Chicken Hound's still waving his truce flag and sniggering and is like, right, I got the message. Fat one, be sure your abbot brings lots of valuables with him. Goodbye, old Greyback. And um... Yeah, Constance says, you better get running. 
frog face. <laughs> and she's going to come down and put her paw behind him right now. And it's like banging on the stones to make it sound like she's actually running to go chase Chicken Hound. And uh, Chicken Hound is terrified and running off. And um, Yeah, she decides this isn't anything the abbot needs to deal with. And she'll... Uh, Take care of this herself. I think this situation could have been worth telling the abbot about, at least, you know, knowing about it, but... Uh, I guess not. Um, Back to Matthias, up with uh, the squirrels, the vole family, and Basil Stag. And he's famished, but he's uh, eating pretty mechanically because of um, what he's got on his mind about the additional yeah, riddles. And uh, S- Silent Sam is sitting on his knee and stroking at his whiskers with his sticky paw. And Basil Stag is trying to take the rest of his food if he doesn't want it. Because, of course. And the abbot's trying to get him to cheer up. And Matthias tells them that he's got this problem he needs to solve. Um. But he's he's told... Not to forget his manner at the table with the guests of our abbey. Oh, like the guests aren't totally for... Yeah, the baby squirrel putting his hands on Matthias's face and Basil trying to eat his food, so who's forgetting yeah. manners here, but... Um, S- Silent Sam was uh, admiring the sword belt. And, and it, the sword belt's on Matthias, you know. And and the baby squirrel starts running around making, you know, paw motions like he's parrying with a tiny sword. And um, Matthias says he doesn't have a sword yet, but he will someday. And then Silent Sam's pointing to himself. He wants a sword. And... Basil comes to the rescue. Yeah, Matthias is like, you know, your mom and dad might not want you having one You're at this age. Yeah, Basil takes out a knife that's a in dagger. a willow bark sheath. A little, I guess, pocket knife size for him. Yeah. Um, it's a leveret dagger, and all young hares carry one. And um, he takes up a... Uh, worn out sandal that no one is using and puts the the um dagger through the sandal like it's a so it sounds like it actually is a little bit bigger I mean if it yeah. fits through that mm-hmm. and uh, gives it to uh silent Sam and so he's uh, dancing around with a knife and doing sword uh parrying motions with it. And that's not going to be a problem or anything. Yeah, he's just preparing to be a warrior. Yeah. 
And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel thanked Basil for this. And uh, cornflowers bring more uh, food. And um, yeah, I feel like Basil is playing a little bit of matchmaker here. Uh, Like, oh, you see how she looks at you? Hines, look at stags like that. Noble creatures, stags. It strikes me that you could be just the stag for her. (laughs) May I remember when I was only a young Lance Jack and cornflower is making faces. Uh... hearing all this and uh, Basil just keeps on about his uh, military past and the 47th Hare Border Rangers and the first time he ever clapped eyes on a stag I'm not boring you am I nods as good as a wink to old bachelor Basil (laughs) Um, and Methuselah beckons Matthias to join him at the gatehouse. Because he's found where the threshold is. Um, He's going through some old books and scrolls and he finds the Abbey blueprints from Sister Germain. Um, Sister Germain's literal translation of Martin the Warrior's Abbey blueprints. Um... A sister Germain was actually the founder of she was the first abbess of Redwall. Now that's doesn't come in here, that's in a later book, but mm-hmm. and I actually if I remember correctly, I think she, it was she who uh drew up the original blueprint designs. Um, not Martin. Um and Part of the blueprints are the gatehouse. Um, oh. On the west wall will be situated a main gate so that creatures may come and go, obtaining entrance to or exit from the Abbey of Redwall. This entrance will be guarded both night and day, for it is the main gatehouse, and as such is the very threshold of our Abbey. So you got your answer right there. There, they found the threshold. And they're dancing around chanting the gatehouse as the threshold and um, Ambrose Spike thinks they're a little bit drunk. Um, Which I think Ambrose would know more about. Keeps uh, rhapsodizing about the good October ale. And now that they've found where the threshold is um, the next part to figure out is look for the sword in moonlight streaming forth at night when day's first hour reflects the north. And um, Matthias figures that this means that it should be solved at night when it's dark. And um, Methuselah points out that at night when day's first hour, which means the specific um, part of the night, um, one o'clock in the morning, day's first hour, So they have to stand at a specific spot an hour after midnight for moonlight streaming forth. And uh, Methuselah points to the next line from over the threshold, seek and you will see. 
So they conclude that it's going to be the wall directly above the gatehouse. And so they climb up there and first thing they see is a bunch of rock and rubble that the moles had left up there. At the spot they wanted to use. Um, and at that point they're um, taking stock of the the different steps of their riddle. And they're going to need to get formal moles help to remove the rubble. Yeah, they get formal's help to remove the rubble, and um, after it's all gone, they find a place where a circle is cut into the stone with two slots on either side of the circle, and it's not totally flat, it's um, tilted. I mean, it's it's got a little bit of a slope. And there are 13 small circles around the sides of it with a smiling face on them. And um, in the middle of the dome, there's another letter M. And uh, Constance shows up. And... Um, she asks them what they're doing and um, has a look at the circle. And she knows right away what it is, that um, it's actually 13 full moons are the, the faces. Because any badger worth its salt knows all about the moon. And she can recite all of its faces. And... Matthias is counting the months and stops at the sixth one and June and asks Constance when the next full moon will be and she says, oh, it's tomorrow night. What's supposed to be happening here? Is some magic or a miracle? And uh, Methuselah explains about that the full moon is supposed to show where the sword of Martin the warrior is. And they tell Constance about the shield, and Constance, right away, is what kind of shield is it? Um, and um, she thinks that it's supposed to fit into that circle, and the slots are for the armholes of the shield to fit, and it will reflect the moonlight. Constance is quite intelligent. Actually, they they all are, but. And so yeah, they sit and they have uh, tea there. The largest, most delicious tea that has ever been served within the walls of this abbey, apparently. So they've they found where they're supposed to to look tomorrow night. For the so they basically they've got a, a day to wait. Yeah. End of the chapter. 
um, chapter 8. Uh, the illustration of that is actually the the plans, the false plans from Clooney that um, the fox was supposed to uh, leak. Clooney is sort of faking that he's asleep again and watching Sela. He knew that the foxes were trying to dupe him and uh... and he's, you know, figuring he can uh, turn the dupe around in his own uh, favor and uh, leak the wrong plans to the mice. Sela, the vixen, had been giving him an herbal sleeping potion uh, that she had made up, and uh, she Clooney secretly stopped taking it, and that way he could feign being asleep and kind of keep I, an eye on things out of the corner of his eye. And leave his plans where they could be seen and stolen on purpose. Yeah. And he drew the diagram that's um, shown in the illustration with the arrows pointing about where he's going to have his army go. and. Uh, These are all fake plans. The fake plans with for a battering ram to the main gate. Anyhow... I don't think of Clooney and pillows, but... Uh, Even bad guys want to have a soft place for their pad. I know, especially when they're kind of not at home, so to speak. Um, but, you know, he... He knew they were planning a double cross. He kept this knowledge to himself. Uh, he tucked the plans for the attack... Uh, partially underneath his pillow. And he makes sure that his um, rat army is actually creating a battering ram that, um, that could, be used. could be used and you know, Ciela will see it being made and I guess if anybody from the Abbey were to come and spy on him, they'd see it being made. He ordered the fox to change his bandages and... Uh, Make him a sleep potion. Which he you know, didn't drink. And um, while they're at it, he gave Sela permi- and his rats permission to um, drink a cask from a cask of barley wine that they found in the church cellars. Now, uh, I wasn't sure what barley wine was because I associate wine with fruit. Yeah. It apparently, it's not really a wine, it's an ale. Um, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it's got an unusually high alcohol percentage, 6 to 12%. That's, um, maybe, like, 6% would be, like, the upper end for, like, a normal beer about, and 12%, that's quite a bit more. Yeah. So, yeah, Clooney wants her to get drunk, but she also pretends to be drinking just as much as his rat captains, but she's not drinking any at all. And when Clooney is uh, fake sleeping, he feels his pillow move a bit, and that's Sela uh, taking his written out plans. Uh, 
And, you know, while this is happening, uh, he wants the mice thinking he's going to go for the gate with a battering ram. Well, he digs under the southwestern corner of the Abbey Wall. And I say he digs. No, he has his rats dig for him. And um, that's the end of chapter eight. Um, chapter nine. Uh, the Joseph Bell tolls and it's 11 o'clock on the night of the full moon. Cavern Hall was well lit, though most Redwallers were asleep. Others were gathering by invitation of Matthias and Methuselah to a hearty supper. Lots of things involved food in uh, Redwall, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. They, they loved to eat. Um, they gave, they all gave themselves well wishes for their quest that night. Methuselah's tired because, well, he's an old mouse. Yeah, and Methuselah and Constance and Matthias are kind of teasing each other about their age. Like, you're a young mouse, it's up past your bedtime. Why don't you go to the dormitory? Oh no, your old relics, you should have some warm milk and be tucked into your beds. Uh, you know, they're teasing each other about that. But Methuselah was starting to doze off. Yes. And Matthias gently woke him. Uh, but uh, anyhow, they had an all, all, all had a good laugh. And while they're not uh, eating their food because they're doing that, Basil and um, Ambrose decide to eat all of their food yeah. to save it going to waste. That's right. <laughs> Anyhow, 15 minutes before one, the three cross the Abbey Gardens. Um, well, the moon broke from behind a drifting cloud bank. Yeah, think of that. Have the wrong weather and it won't work. Yeah. This reminds me of, remember back when we were doing The Hobbit and it's got to be Durin's Day when the light... Yes. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that the timing of things, it's always like, you're there at just the right time. And I, I don't know how many other books have this. It's here and it's in The Hobbit. Yeah. So... Yeah, the the Joseph Bell um, booms out once and Matthias puts the shield into the receptacle for it and the moonlight hits it and reflects it back into the sky. Just an intense beam of white light. But it's not showing the sword. It's just up to the roof again and it... Um, the weather beam, sorry, the weather vane yeah. um, is visible in the beam of light. Um, and the weather vane arm points north, so that's um, the part where the rhyme reflects the north. 
and Methuselah's is where the sword must be. Attached to the arm of the weather vane. Now, that doesn't mean they actually see it up there. It's pretty high up. They can't see it that well. I think you can kind of see where this is going. So, they don't have the sword yet. They have an idea where it might be now. They puzzle how to reach it. Because the roof is very high. Oh, I and they're guessing it'll take... 30 or 40 extra long ladders tied together if that was, you know, a remotely safe or reasonable thing to do to reach the roof. Mm. And they'd need a bird or a squirrel to get up there. they got squirrels, though. That's right. They have Jess. <laughs> they, have, they have Jess. Mrs. Squirrel, or Jess as she likes to be called. Now, about how high it is, and that's another one of those size scale things that, I mean, maybe they're mice and it's not as high as like a big building in real life, but also it's it's in relation to trees and tree branches, so it still sounds pretty... Well, think of a tall ladder for us would be one that reached floor to ceiling, maybe. And if you need 30 ladders, you're talking about 30 stories. Is how many, what, was that the number? Um, 30 or 40. 30 or 40. So you're talking 30 or 40 stories. Now, I doubt if the Abbey's that tall. But... Uh, mouse-sized stories, though. Uh, well, yeah. Now, my sister and some of her friends years ago were having this debate. I wasn't there for it. Um, apparently their conclusion was that they thought Red Wall would be about the size of, like, a a fast food joint. So, like, not as big as a real abbey, but bigger than, like, a little mouse, uh, thing. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, the only frame of reference I've got is that trees being a little taller than the walls. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure how high the abbey itself is in relation with, to the walls either. Well, a tree, a tall tree would be 40, 60 feet. So you still might be talking 100 or 120 feet up, up in the air, probably for the roof. I could be wrong, but that's just... Still, so squirrels are good with climbing high things. Yep. And Chess, of course, you know, agrees to this, and, um, she starts climbing easily. Um, she puts, she rubs some dirt into her paws to give them some extra uh, gripping power. And... There are, like, arched window frames and things that she can hold on to. Or should I say no? The lower wall with its arched sandstone window frames held no difficulties for the tough squirrel. And she's climbing and um, using her tail to help her climb and... 
Mr. Squirrel thinks the stone is rougher on her paws than wood and tree bark are. He's probably right. And she's getting way high up there. And she's almost up to the gable. And finally gets to the top of the roof. Um, walking with e a foot on either side of the apex. And then she's uh, climbing back down again. And gets attacked by sparrows. And so it's a much worse climb down with birds attacking her. And Matthias calls for archers to um, stop, the, stop sparrow. the sparrows. Yes. So he calls for the six best archers. And he says to not um, try to kill any of the birds, but shoot to frighten them off. Silent Sam wanted to help, but he was restrained by the abbot and Constance. And the birds are, they, they're scattering, but they keep regrouping to attack Jess. And an arrow actually does hit one of the birds. Yeah, during the third volley of arrows, it hit a small sparrow. And she, the small sparrow um, falls to the ground, but the arrow is in her leg, not anywhere vital. So I think it's more the shock of being hit than... Um, that made her the sparrow fall, and yeah, Constance removed the arrow and put the a basket over the sparrow to keep it there. And Jess made it down safely, and right away Matthias is asking where the sword is, and Jess said that she could see wires where the sword to hold the sword in place, but the sword was gone. Um, and well, they're at another dead end. They don't have they don't have the sword and they don't have a new clue. And uh, the sparrow, the one that got injured a little, was named Warbeak. And she's in the basket, flipping out understandably. And um, shouting that she's going to Okay, the sparrows, they actually talk like, I'd kill you, I'd kill you, mouse, let Warbeak free you, dirty worm. And uh, Matthias says, you show your beak, you're in no position to kill anyone. And, oh, she's getting madder. King Bull Sparrow, he kill you, make dead quick, fast. Matthias and told Warbeak to improve her temper or... He would get, she'd get no food or medical attention. And the sparrow is, of course, getting even madder. No want of food, no need attention. Warbeak, sparrow, all brave, kill, eat. Oh, um, Brian Jakes has actually said that he, uh, based the sparrows off of actual sparrows and how they behave, um, you know, kind of arguing and chirping with each other, and yeah. 
Um, a place I used to work had some sparrows nesting in the roof, and yeah, they argued and fought, and um, a sparrow actually knocked another sparrow off, and it landed on the ground. No, it was fine. It got up and flew back again. I actually thought it might need help, but it didn't. So they are kind of like this. And um, Brian has said that wherever he has traveled, the sparrows are the same. Now, English sparrow is a widely introduced um, invasive species, so it probably is the same sparrows. There are also um, native species of sparrows to at least the U.S., and I'm not sure, like, everywhere. I didn't look too deeply into it, and maybe their personalities are about the same. I don't know. The sparrows I have seen have been the English house sparrow. And I live in America. As we're podcasting, we have a kitten with us whose name is Sarmina, and she is living up to her name right now. And being very attacky. With her sharp little claws. So, yeah, this is uh, the end of chapter 9. We're on to chapter 10, the last one we'll be covering in this episode. Um, Sila is complaining about this herb that she needs that's not in her kit, and it has to be found in moss flower wood at the dark of night. So, obvious ploy there. And um, Clooney suggests a white owl says she send Chicken Hound to get it. And Sila's like, no, he's too young and inexperienced. He wouldn't know where to start looking. Clooney does say that uh, not to make any false moves, and there's going to be two rats with her red tooth. And if there are false moves, he's going to have her tail to trim his collar on his war cloak. And that is the kind of thing Clooney would actually do, so that yeah. may not be an idle threat. And uh, Sealer's like, of course, I'm not going to play you false. I want to get plunder from Redwall once it's conquered. And But, but Clooney knew that Sela would give the rats the slip, which was okay, because he wanted the fake plans delivered to the abbot. So... And Sela is secretly like, yay, only two guards. This is going to be easy. And uh, Sela does go off with the rats, and the rats follow the fox through stinging nettles, midges, and marshy ground. So she's trying to make it as miserable for them as possible. Now, I'm not sure to what degree stinging nettles actually affect animals, unless they're stung in a place that doesn't have much fur, but in Redwall it is totally portrayed as stinging them to the degree that a person, yes. Yes. Um. I'm one who fell into a patch of stinging nettles as a little girl in just a little tank top and shorts. I keep getting stung by them while I'm fishing. Oh, and one time, um, I harvested a whole bunch, and I processed them without gloves. And I got stung so much that I spent the night with my fingers feeling like 
the closest comparison I can make is to the time I got bit by a mildly venomous hognose snake. It wasn't as bad as that, but it was certainly more um, severe than an ordinary, like, one bee sting to a hand would be. Right. Um, My fingers felt like stingy, numb, and swollen, and it was not good. Uh, But the cake made from the nettles was delicious. Yes, it was very good and very green. Um, Anyhow, the rats started arguing. (laughs) And they started fighting. That's on page 170. Yeah, and um, Red Tooth actually pulls a knife and um, Fang Burnet jabs Red Tooth with his spear. Yeah, this they they keep arguing. They get into a proper fight, and they're kicking and biting. And um, you know what's happening with Sela? Ah, she's leaving, of course. <clears throat> All the rats are busy like wrecking each other and. I think at this point, totally forgetting that they have actual weapons with them and teeth and claws, like real rats. Right. Uh, Sela heads along for that three-topped oak, um, and the old stump, and <coughs> she hears Constance's voice growling, be still, fox, or I'll snap your neck like a dead twig. So she was expecting an old mouse abbot, and that's not what she got. And the full-grown badger is the most dangerous thing you all find in that area. And Sela, you know, froze with fright, and Constance... Um, snapped the herb pouch right off of her belt and shook out the contents, took the invasion plans, took put them into her own belt. Um, and boxed the fox between the ears. Which knocked her out completely. And then she starts calling out in a high-pitched voice, Over here, I've got the fox. Over here. And Red Tooth comes over, finds the unconscious fox. Um, starts asking her where Fangburn is, even though she's unconscious. Constance comes out from behind the trees, and I don't think she'll wake up for a while yet. And fancy meeting you here, rat. And Red Tooth is armed. He has his cutlass. Yes. And um, Constance says he's got a score to to settle with him, and um, she sees that Red Tooth still remembers her from defeat at the wall, and Red Tooth says he's gonna enjoy this, and he'll make sure she dies slowly, and swings at her with his sword, his cutlass, and Um, Constance sidesteps it and cuffs him on the point of his nose. And 
Now, Red Tooth and Constance have a fight which ends with Constance taking a few hits from the Cutlass. I guess relatively minor. And Red Tooth is grabbed by the tail and swung around and around until she lets go and Red Tooth goes flying and hits a tree. He does not survive that. And and before she did that, she had grabbed the cutlass and snapped it, the blade in two. With her paws. Yeah. And this is your first um, Brian Jake's uh, badger fight scene. A pretty tame one compared to some later. Yeah. Anyhow, Constance calls out again. And Fangburn comes to find Sela and the dead Red Tooth. And Sela wakes up with a bump on her head and no no rich rewards and the plan's taken. And they quickly um well first they find the dead Red Tooth and his broken sword and they realize they gotta come up with a good story pretty quick for Clooney to get them off the hook for So they're fabricating lies to placate Clooney as we conclude that chapter. And that's the end of chapter 10. Um, have any more? Uh, I think we've covered it all pretty thoroughly, but do you have anything more to say about any of it? Um... No, not particularly, but uh, I'm looking forward to the next chapters because, uh, you know, there'll be more things and discovered it, and such. So where we're leaving off, they ran out of clues for the sword. They found out where it definitely was, but it's not there now. They have Warbeak the very angry Sparrow imprisoned and Fangburn and Sela have some explaining to Clooney that uh, isn't going to go so well. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's uh, just the end of this episode. Um Please uh, listen to us again, and if you have any comments or um, anything you'd like us to maybe talk about in the future, um, please message us on Facebook, Cast It Into The Fire Podcast. There's also a group to join. Feel free to join. Leave a review with Apple. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Have a good afternoon. And we'll see you next time.